Hello, Life on Earth podcast community. How are you today? I hope you're having a fabulous day wherever you are. And I hope that this episode comes to you and brightens up your day, inspires you, and makes it even better than it already is. Thank you so much for listening to the show. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for all of your support. I cannot wait to share this next guest with you. This episode is brought to you by the Light Code Membership Program. Go to nataliecrad.com slash members dash portal, and you'll see all of our offerings, including virtual yoga classes, energy healing, meditations, yoga nidra, and so much more. You can find out all about our program in that page and then select which one would be the best fit and complement to your life. And I cannot wait to work with you. Do you love yoga? Do you want to dive deeper into your yoga practice? This is the time on and off the mat. Well, you're in the right place. Our school has over a decade of experience. I myself have over two decades of sharing my love of yoga with my students, with our community and the planet. Now is the time for us to step up, to live our truth, to better planet Earth, our beloved home. So I'm going to invite you to visit ShantiYogaTrainingSchool.com and find out details about our 200 and 300 hour yoga certification programs. We offer them both in person and virtually. Welcome to today's episode. I'm so excited about this next guest. Her art has inspired me beyond words, and it's a joy to have her on Life on Earth podcast. Our guest today is Rebecca Reboucher. Rebecca is an American painter, writer, filmmaker, and an entrepreneur known for her decade-long collaboration with international retailer Anthropology and her large-scale paintings of allegorical family trees. John James Audubon meets Frida Kahlo in a Chagall dreamscape. Her work is here to tell the story of us that we didn't know needed telling. Her surreal, naturalistic paintings paired with her intuitive journaling have drawn not only collectors but enthusiasts to her work, resulting in a model of artful living celebrated in the New York Times, Garden and Gun, Anthropology Magazine, Anthology Magazine, Madame Air France Magazine, and The Great Discontent. Without further ado, here is our amazing conversation and episode with Rebecca Reboucher. Welcome to Life on Earth, The Peace Project, a podcast that teaches you how to connect with the divine and transform darkness into light through topics from yoga to nature and ultimately love. Join your host, Natalie Kwa, to celebrate and encourage diversity, peace and global equality, one earthling at a time. Welcome to Life on Earth podcast. Rebecca, I'm so excited to have you today. Thank you for being on the show. It's so awesome to have you now with as part of the community and for all of the listeners to get to know you better. I'm sure many of them already know you because we've got a ton of people from New Orleans, but also from everywhere. I think you also are very well known and people who don't know you know they'll get to know you now. Rebecca's full name is Rebecca Reboucher. Welcome. <laughs> Hi, thank you. Thank Happy you. to be here. Yeah, you are in a beautiful place. I just asked Rebecca where she was at. She's got this beautiful painting that you're working on, right? On the back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm in my studio some, in New Orleans. Her studio in New Orleans with some plants. I mean, this, and you look so beautiful as usual. Thank yeah. you. You're welcome. So Rebecca is an artist. Do you say you're a painter? Is that something that you feel comfortable with? Or what? how do you describe yourself? Yeah, I think, I mean, artist is great, but it does have so many different iterations. And so I am mostly a painter. I'm not limited to painting. I do works on paper, drawings, and I also write. But I would say mm-hmm. the primary medium that I express myself in is painting. 
painting. And what is your Instagram so that everybody can already look up some images as we're talking? Maybe that's great, you know? Sure. Yeah. It's just my full name, Rebecca Rebouche. And that's R-E-B-O-U-C-H-E. And of course, I'm going to include all of that on our show notes as well. But the images are so powerful that maybe this would be great to open your IG and look at some of Rebecca's images as you're listening to this conversation. That could be really fun. So how did this whole thing start? Did you always know that you were creative, that you were an artist since you were a little girl? I was always creative since I was a little girl. And my mom likes to say I would sit in church and draw the backs of people's heads to (laughs) stay interested (laughs) in church. And I would always doodle in class and school in the margins of my notebooks. And I always had a sort of natural talent, I guess, for drawing that was encouraged and cultivated. And I, I would copy things from books and eventually learn just a bit more, studied art in school and then in college. And when I was in college, I studied both fine art and graphic design. And when I got out of school... I needed a job. So I first worked in advertising before I made the switch to become a full-time artist. So at the time, I didn't know that you could be an artist for a living. And then I met some people who were artists for a living and I learned from them and I figured it out and I figured out that that was my path. So yeah. How does it feel to know or to be like, okay, this is what I want to do since you're like a child, basically? Well, It was both a blessing and a curse because I felt like I had a natural gift in that sense, but I also felt interested in many, many things when I was a kid, eternally sort of curious and constantly switching my attention between various pursuits. I was very academically oriented. I was very artistic, but I also had this interest in the physical arts. I was big into gymnastics and dance. I ran track and field. I was on the student council, various organizations, and I had this interest in acting and modeling. And actually, those were my first paychecks in the world were from acting and modeling, which was a great way to pay for college and not have to wait tables. Mm -hmm. And so it was a winding path for sure. But I feel like creativity and being artistic was always this thread that ran through everything that I tried to do. And it was just a matter of honing that over time, you know, figuring out which medium I was going to express myself with. Yeah. And where are you from originally? I'm from here, from South Louisiana, not New Orleans proper, but from South Louisiana. I was born in a small bayou town called Franklin, Louisiana. Mm -hmm. And I basically grew up in the suburbs of New Orleans and I went to college in North Louisiana. I left for only a few years after college. I lived in Austin and then I moved back. So pretty much been born and raised here my whole life. Do you love New Orleans? Of course. I love it. I love it so much. (laughs) I always see, I used to always bump into you. I remember one time I bumped into you in a Mardi Gras and you had all the feathers in your hair. You did your own costumes, right? Yeah. Every year I make a new costume headdress and headdress and costume piece for Mardi Gras Day and for other events during carnival. But It's sort of a a life is art expression that you get to have in New Orleans. You get this beautiful yearly release of carnival to to sort of become your art and parade out into the streets with your fellow New Orleanians where everyone is a form of art and the people are sort of the revelry and that is the art and it all comes alive, you know? Yeah, New Orleans is very like that. And you're still living now, you said, between New Orleans and the North Shore, right? That's right. Yeah. And so another place that I've seen you a few times would actually went to a few of your openings in the little studio that was very lovely uptown New Orleans. This is a different one. Are you still there? No, I'm not still there. I have a different studio in a different neighborhood in, um, in the Holy Cross area. But that studio was this precious little corner store building. Yes. And it used to be a beauty salon and it had this hand painted lettering above the door that said the beauty shop. So I had adopted that name when that place was my studio and I called it the beauty shop. So this space that I'm in right now, I think of it as the beauty shop 2.0 because it is very, (laughs) very similar. It's a corner store building with beautiful light, 
ground floor and it's just bigger and it's sort of like the grown up version of the original beauty shop. Um, so and that is the name for this No, place. it's just Rebecca Rebuchet, oh. you know, studio <laughs> gallery. But I think of it as this second incarnation of yeah. the beauty shop, which has a nice double entendre, you know, because it is a place for beautiful things. Yes. That's and you know, Rebecca, is. for people who are listening and maybe you're already on her IG, like I, I suggested, but Rebecca paints with so many beautiful animals and trees and horses and birds. And so that it's such a big inspiration for me and for so many people. And you've worked in places, your work has been in place like anthropology. I really want to find out how that happened. And you, you were just talking to me a little before we started recording about traveling for commissions. And so I kind of want to get into that. And then why a gallery? How is a gallery come into place? Like, is it good to have a gallery? Why for you individually? And then having these other works, if you could give us a summary, like some of the things you have done since you've graduated, can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Yeah, there is a strong element of the natural world in my work, but that sort of came to me slowly. It wasn't my original impulse. I think when I first got into art making, it was just a matter of sort of expressing emotion and and originally wanting to sort of instill an idea of hope. It was post-Katrina New Orleans. And at the time, there was this real downtrodden heaviness and sadness in the city. And I was starting to make art. And I really just wanted to give people permission to be alive and happy and in the moment. And so at that time, I made drawings of things like ice cream and dresses and birds and apples and very kind of sweet things. And and through that, I started to build this language of art, this language that I could use over and over again. It's almost as if I wrote my own language and now I just speak it and it is this visual metaphor. And slowly that came to encompass most of nature as the primary vehicle for, for using that language. So I became a real naturalist sort of accidentally along the way just by starting to observe how something like waterfowl was a great stand-in for a person and how the changing of the weather or the seasons could represent, you know, emotion and the volatility of that and what we can learn from nature as being sort of mirrors of our own experience, our human experience. So I really just started making that work and um, showing it, selling it and and I was really lucky because at one point, anthropology came along. They came to New Orleans on a scouting mission, and they saw my work because a client of mine introduced me to them, and it was a really good fit. And so from there, we started to collaborate first on just a painting for the New Orleans Anthropology Store, and then we started doing our first collection. So from there, we did tabletop you know, dinnerware, and then proceeded into curtains, rugs, wallpaper, stationery, pajama pants, scarves, on and on and on, bedding on all of these products. And that turned into like a 10-year collaboration, really, of over time. Yeah, applying the art to different new collections with them. What's great about working with a client like that is that all at once they respected the art and what I was doing and also were able to apply it to their product and what they were offering and able to make. And then that gets your art into this sort of applied art sense. It gets it into a domestic use where people can incorporate that art into their daily life. And it gives the art so much more iterations of life beyond just a painting on a canvas. Yeah, and I love that because I myself have some beautiful mugs that I've collected from different artists, you know, and different. And I think that it lines up your day. It really does. Like, you know, if you have a beautiful plate or you have a beautiful setup for a table, lunch, dinner, or breakfast, whatever, or even just like a glass of water, that's special. It can beautify your energy field. And like you're, for me, I think an energy field way, but like Literally, it brings, uplifts me. So when I see your work in different shapes and form, I find that very inspirational too. So I'm glad yeah. to hear that as an artist, that this is also fulfilling. 
And especially a brand like that, it's such a quality brand. Absolutely. I mean, it always matters how things are done, but I do think that my view of it also has evolved over the years because you can, in one way, think of these products as just a version of art. But the truth is, is that our whole existence, our style is this sort of magnetic field. It is this sigil that you use to communicate with the universe. That is what I think now. And I think that these things in your life, whether it's art on the wall or art on a plate or art in the form of jewelry or photographs that you've taken or notes that you leave to yourself or your loved ones, these are all forms of communicating with the universe as to what you vibe with, what you agree with, what gives you life and energy and joy. And I think it's good to take those things seriously. They're not just like this flippant extra aspect of life. It's, a, it's an aspect of living, breathing, using energy in your day. It's all an extension of you. Everything, it's not just nothing. It's something. And there's going to be an impact in your life in some way, shape or form. Because I've noticed with you too, I've been to some of your spaces, including you call the tree house, the one in the mm-hmm. orchard, you call that the tree. To me, you're, that's a form of your art too. Your spaces are Thank very you. beautiful. You're welcome. And I'm like that too. I'm very particular to details. And right now I just ordered a book about interior decoration I'm reading about. And I'm super, because of exactly what you just said, that to me, everything matters, you know? And I'm realizing this more and more as I go through mm-hmm. life. Like, so, okay, back to you. So besides that big thing, a decade, right? Anthropology, uh, sure. What are the other things? I mean, I've also been to several gallery exhibitions. I mean, I always see your paintings on Instagram. I always see them, everything. So how does that go about? How does that part of your work function? Is it just you know, you keep creating? Do people come to you? Like, how does that work? Well, I think something that's unique about me is that I am a self-represented artist. So I'm more of an entrepreneur in that sense. I sort of run my own business. I have my own website and I put on my own shows. It's a lot of work, but what's really exciting about it is that I get to change the venue and the style for each collection that I make. And so I get really excited about focusing my energy for a year on a new collection of paintings. And that new collection, I get to decide how I'm going to present it, how many pieces it's going to be, how it's going to be framed and what it's going to look like. And then what other elements there are to that event or evening or presentation. And it's part of a whole storytelling component. And that really is what's underlying all of the work that I make is a strong allegorical, mythological storytelling component. And that that's what gets me out of bed in the morning. That's what gets the paintings made. And it's sort of working in this way where I feel like I'm telling a story. So yeah, and um, you can really tell if anybody has been to your show, which I'm sure many people listening have, you can tell when you go into your I mean, there was one that I went, oh my God, I'm just remembering this. There's one in the North Shore that was like insane. Some people ended up staying, sleeping there. Mm-hmm. And there was like some fire and you could yeah. walk into the tree house and then these paintings. And I literally thought I was like in a mystical, magical world, like something that was complete. <laughs> you know? Good. So when you're going through that process, you said maybe a year is, are you sort of like in that story consistently? Or are you looking for things to inspire you in that story? What's the creative process there? I think it's a sort of a magical mystery ride, if you will. <laughs> I mean, once I get an idea for a theme, a story, It's like magic. It just starts to appear everywhere. You know, the the inspirations that I need just start to show themselves to me. It's massive synchronicity. It's like if you put yourself into the flow, if you put yourself into that alignment, then the universe is just going to start giving you more and more and more of that theme that you're on. So it's great. I love it because I think of it like there's a quote from the Walker Percy book, The Movie Goer, where he talks about this idea of being onto something, 
I say in air quotes, onto something. And because to be onto something is the opposite of being in despair. And that is how I feel in my art practice all the time. It's like when I know I've hit it, when I'm onto something, when I'm just like hit a groove with an idea, then despair disappears. There is no more despair because I am so engaged in that mystery. And I'm just learning the mystery as I create the work. So it just becomes this process of telling the story, making the paintings, planning the event, and communicating all of that in such a way that allows people to to become a part of it, to get into the story with me and become a part of it and learn whatever truths there are in there for us to learn along the way. That is so amazing. It's so fantastic to me to hear you explaining. Now I really see it, the whole process. So for people who are listening, who maybe haven't experienced this your work before, can you give us some themes that you've gone into the past maybe like few years or however many years you want? Give us some examples. Yeah. Yeah. So let's go back to sort of in a way what I think of as the beginning, which was a body of work I did called The Unlikely Naturalist. And for that, I wanted to explore my newfound naturalism. That's why I called myself The Unlikely Naturalist. It was like I accidentally became this lover of birds and trees and and animals. (laughs) and, And I was exploring that. And I decided to explore it through the lens of Southern Gothic literature. So I read the authors like Faulkner, Eudora Welty, Tennessee Williams, and I explored the nature of the American South. And so I took myself on a month-long road trip by myself just to paint the flora and fauna of the American South and read these Southern Gothic novels, basically. So the road trip was in the South. The road trip was in the South. It was Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama. Through that time, I was just doing nothing but living on a shoestring, reading these books and painting the flora and fauna. And that resulted in this body of work called The Unlikely Naturalist. And since then, I've done many different projects with different themes. The the show that you came to, that you're referring to, that was at my treehouse, was called The Rural Experience. That was the name of the event. And that show was called Modern Mythology. And for that one, I explored themes present in mythologies that are universal to our present circumstances and sort of translated them through my own visual metaphors of what a more modern mythology might be. And I really wanted that show to feel wild and free of the distractions of a modern world so that it could feel sort of timeless with the universe. And so that's why we had it at my treehouse in the woods in this rural setting at night under the stars. I emptied out my whole house to turn Mm -hmm. it into a gallery and hung all the paintings on all three floors of this house. I called it treehouse, which is like a cabin raised up on stilts in the woods. We had some friends play music and there was food and drink and people brought tents and camped out under the stars. And it was this whole mythological sort of experience. Magical. Very magical. Yeah, very magical. And what Um, you're working on now, is that like a secret? When you're working on something, is that like a secret until you release it? Or (laughs) Okay, it usually is, but it's less of a secret this time than it's ever been before because I'm trying something new with this new collection that I'm painting this year. And that is that I'm just trying to tell more of the story as I go, because I've realized that a lot of times in the past, I've kept a lot of it a secret with the intention of telling more later, but then there's all this potential energy that builds and then the collection comes out and then it changes. So I want to sort of share that energy while it's building, while it's happening. So I'm trying to share more about this work now. What I'm working on now is an extension of a long story that I've been telling since 2017. So I started telling a story in 2017 that I call Exotic Memory. And it is a massive epic tale that came to me in a dream all at once. One night I laid down, I slept and I dreamed this story and I woke up and I started writing it down and it has become this magical obsession that I've had since then that has taken over my life. So I started by telling it in chapters. So I told 
a chapter of the story in 2017, and that was called Lion Taming. And that was giving some backstory to some of the characters in this story that had to do with the circus around the turn of the century, a central character who was sort of gifted with communicating with animals, and just sort of loosely exploring some of these themes. Then the next year, I did a chapter two, and it was called Amnesia Diaries. That was kind of two things in one. It was an element of the story where there's a character who goes away to, to sea on a ship and gets amnesia. But more importantly, what it was about for me was this idea that you get to select your memories for what they can do for you and develop a sort of selective amnesia for the things that you don't need to remember anymore that may hurt you or that you don't need to keep. So this idea that you are the master of your own memory. and so choose wisely, so to speak, as, as to where you want to have amnesia and where you don't. That was a real self-portraiture and empowerment. And then I thought it would culminate in the collection I did the following year in 2019, which was called Exotic Memory. But the sort of subtitle of that was Anonymous Dreamer. But we had come to the sort of central character of this story that I'm telling. And her name is Chloe. And she is having these sort of radical dreams. And the paintings in that collection were paintings depicting scenes from her dreams. So now it's kind of gotten meta because this whole idea came to me in a dream. And then there's this character who's having these dreams. And it's a series of her dreams depicted in paintings. So that show I showed in October of 2019. And I thought that that was going to be the final chapter of this epic but I was very wrong. So, <laughs> so now we're just continuing on. And yeah. now I'm not saying when it's ending. So I'm doing the next yeah. chapter in the story. This one is called Waking the Dreamer. That title might change, but right now it's the idea is what happens when the dreamer wakes up. Mm-hmm. So now that I explored her dreams, her sleeping dreams, now I'm exploring the waking dream, the waking dream, the daydream, yeah. the dream of living the dream. So these paintings are the, the opposite of the last collection, which was dark and moody and mysterious and swampy and muddy and sort of veiled. And these new paintings that I'm working on now are daytime, luminous, bright. They're romantic and floral. And they're all about this kind of capturing the light, these orbs of light and energy and blossoming and feeling like a new day has dawned. Wow. I love that. And I love that you had the first one way back what came to you in a dream. Yeah, I did. I yeah. had, it all came to me in a dream, fully formed. Wow. That's so cool. Yeah. I love all of this. So you're in the process right now of creating this. I am deep in yeah. the process of this chapter four, if you will. And normally I'd be very secretive about this part of the process. In the past, I've always been secretive when I'm creating a body of work because I want to see what it's going to be before I share it. And that just didn't feel appropriate for this body of work because it's so bright. The essence of this part of the story is this sort of nothing to hide moment, this shamelessness, this real giving generous energy. So I am embodying that energy with the making of the collection by saying like, come into my studio, watch me work. I'm sharing things in progress so that you can be a part of this blossoming as it's happening. You know, the flower isn't self-conscious about herself when she's in the bud and then her petals start to slowly open. Mm -hmm. She doesn't say, no, 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 don't look at me until I'm a full flower. The flower invites you to observe the whole process of her blossoming. And that's what I'm trying to do as well. Yeah, that's amazing. So what is a day like for you? I'm curious, what's a day like for you? Do you have morning routines? Like, do you wake up? How do you do? Do you have a specific time that you paint? Do you don't? How does that work? So I wake naturally with the sun. I don't set an alarm. And the first thing I do is I make an espresso. And then I write in my journal. I practice the artist's way method of morning Mm -hmm. pages, three pages every morning per Julia Cameron's book, The Artist's Way. And I started that in 2007. 
and I've done it ever since. So wow, I've basically written three pages in my journal every morning since yeah. 2007. So it really works for you. This is it a great really for works you. for me. It yeah. is like the essential part of my process. It's where all my good ideas wow. come from. It's where I figure everything out. Most of my paintings come to me in the form of the written word, and then they get translated into something visual after that, after I've written them down. I write, I tend to write a lot of sort of manifestos, as I call them, mm-hmm. which are these sort of declarations from the artist process. And after I, I work all of that out, by no means are, are all the days full of good ideas. Sometimes mm-hmm. the journal is just blah, 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 and then, you know, it's done and then I move on. But generally, I start my day with the journaling and then I try to sketch right after that. So, so that I have this sort of pure moment of sketching that comes from this creative purge that I've done in the journal. And after I've done that, then I allow myself to sort of check in with the business and do some business matters, emails, et cetera, and project planning mode. My day is sort of broken into these three segments. The first one is this emotional conceptual phase that's in the journaling and the sketching. And then the second chunk of the day is this very practical, logistical section of the day where I handle business matters and check in with my clients, customers. I'll follow up with someone who has a family tree painting, for example. That's the commissions that I do. And I will check in with all of the project planning that I have going on. And then I'll check in with the studio situation. So uh, if I need to stretch canvases or wash brushes or order paint or get things in good working order in the studio. And then what I think of as my magic hours for painting is from three to seven. I love to be in the studio from the hours of three o'clock to seven o'clock. That's why I feel the most productive, the most inspired for the way that the light is and the way that I feel about myself. I feel like I work best when I feel like this, all the stuff of the day is done. You know, mm-hmm. I've gotten my feelings out on paper. I've gotten myself organized. I've done business. And I feel like at three o'clock, I can turn over into this, slip through this portal. I have to slip through in order to paint and actually produce the art. Yeah, it's interesting because you have this side of you, like you said, you run your website, you have your gallery, you run your show. So it's very business, you know, kind of like me too. I've got my creative process and the things I do and I writing and all that. But I also have this training school that I run. And I'm sure a lot of listeners have the same situation going on. But it's really cool to see, you know, like you're an artist and you have all this artistic side, but you also got all this other business, very like mundane things that you have to do. And I think it's interesting that you compartmentalize it. Like you say, okay, this is the time for this. And my mind is going to be in this kind of mindset. And this is now I can kind of, you know, close that and go into this and be more creative. Do you find that that's very helpful to have that sort of division? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's essential actually. And some days if I'm not able to sort of, if you think of it as the practice of art is kind of like sailing a ship, you can't sail the ship from the shore. I think that you run the business on the shore with your feet planted firmly on the ground. Mm -hmm. And at some point you have to leave the shore and get on the ship and sail. Mm -hmm. And when you try to do both, when you try to have one foot on the ship and one foot on the shore, you end up in the water and that's no good. So I think that like, I have this um, theory that there's this portal that you have to slip through when you do things like phone calls, emails, get on the internet, all of those things that bring you kind of into your left brain. That's like standing at the threshold of the portal and you're not passing through. You're not getting into it. And you're never going to make your, if you don't go through that portal, if you don't pass the threshold, if you don't leave the shore and get on the ship and never make get off the shore. And so when I see that happening, I just go, okay, today we're staying on shore. You know, we're not sailing today. The, the weather's too bad, <laughs> whatever it is, you know, mm-hmm. we're not going through the portal, but at least I know, and I don't have to have anxiety about it. I don't have to beat myself up about the fact that I'm not sailing today. If at some point I decide I'm not sailing today, if it's a day that I'm not creating. 
But once you do decide to leave the shore and get on the ship, it's best to stay out there and (laughs) sail and not keep coming back to shore. And I think a lot of people do that. They try to create, but then check their email or create and check Instagram or create and stop and run an errand or do something. And you'll find that your energy is always split when you do that. Yeah. To me, that makes perfect sense. And I'm really glad that you pointed this out. And it's also a great reminder, especially for me, like you said, to set those boundaries. And now I want to talk about these commissions because I find that so interesting. But before I got a quick question, what espresso machine do you use? Oh, I have a very simple, the Nespresso machine with the pods and... It's just like the original one. I love it. It's great. Just it for, works. you know, a single espresso. You collect the pods, send them back in. They're all fully recycled. So nice. they're not like creating a bunch of waste in the world. So I like it. Okay, good. Awesome. Because <laughs> coffee can be such a treat. It's so good. It is <laughs> such a treat. I, it is I a know. treat that I definitely afford myself. So I have a daily ritual where before I'm about to come back into the studio for my afternoon painting session, I take a quick nap. I'm very much in the Italian mindset of a bit of a siesta in the afternoon. So I wake early and if I'm having one of my good typical days, I wake early, I do all of this work as I described and lunch, et cetera. And then I break and I lay down for 30 minutes and I don't set an alarm. I just tell myself I'm going to lay down for 30 minutes. And then miraculously, I always wake up in 30 minutes, but So I have this little reset of a nap and that is great because it's kind of like a second day. Uh I'm the type of person that really always wishes there was more time in a day. So it's a way of giving myself two days. So I have my little, my little lay down. And then when I wake up, I just make an espresso and I get to work in the studio. And I love that you wake up with the, you said with no alarm and just like let the light in. So do you actually even have a curtain or is this like no curtains or what? It depends on which place I'm at. I have an apartment here in the city where I do have curtains because it is the city. Okay. But yeah, in my treehouse, in the house in the woods, there's tons of natural light. The architecture is designed such that there are these sort of all these windows up high in these different spots to let the light in at different parts of the day. So I have a sunrise window in my bedroom that's over the bed. So it allows the sun to come in like a beam of light over my head in the morning. So I always know what time it is based on the sun and this window. Yeah, that place. We've got to talk about that place. But wait, so how about the commissions? Like, so how does that work? And especially some people that are listening, if they want to work with you, how can you work with people? Sure. So I developed this style of commission that I call the family tree painting, which Mm -hmm. is not a literal family tree. It is a metaphorical family tree. It's a visual representation of a family story, a nuclear family, basically. It is a large painting, four feet by six feet of a tree. And there are objects and things in the tree and setting of the tree that tells a visual story about that unique family or person or couple. And I developed this accidentally because over 10 years ago, I made a tree painting about my family. And then people started trying to buy it and asking if I could make one for them, for their family. And so I just decided, sure, I'll try it out. And I found that I had this just natural gift for it. I was never taught how to do this, but it just was one of those things that fell into my lap and was perfectly synchronous in terms of my unique gifts. So I meet with a family and spend like the better part of a day with them. And you Uh, travel for this, right? Yeah. Yeah, So I always meet in person with a family. I go to the family wherever they are in the world and meet in their home and basically hang out and get to know them. I take pictures and I take lots of notes in my notebook. And we just talk about what makes them feel like a family, their unique sort of traditions and approach to life and tell stories. And through that process, I have all these notes and I get to know them. And I come back to the studio, I learn through the process of re-experiencing that family interview and researching elements from their life, finding ways to visually represent the, the elements of their unique story. So if, let's say, they spent some time in Thailand, I might 
select a bird that's only found in Thailand and put that in the painting. Or if they lost everything in a fire at one point, you know, then fire will be an element that we, that we use to represent the rebirth of that or on and on. There's, there's various elements that, of course, there's endless amounts of elements that I can use, but it's about coming up with this visual story. And I then take that research and everything that I learn in that process. And I come up with a composition, a drawing that then becomes a painting. And for me, it's this very magical process where I don't feel like I do it. I, I know that I physically paint it, but I don't feel like it's mine to come up with. I feel more like I'm wandering through a forest until I recognize their tree, until I see it. I'm wandering around in the dark and then it becomes illuminated to me. I just make it visible. I represent it. So I don't show any sketches or any work in progress. So it's this real leap of faith on the part of the client to trust me with their story, to trust me to learn the truth of them and learn how to represent it. And then I, I show back up with the finished result and reveal the painting to them. It's kind of like wow, having your fortune so cool. read or something. It's like this that is large so cool. scale artistic mirror of who you are. And, and they're big. They're huge. Yeah, they're six feet tall. So it is an heirloom quality piece of art that you will have for generations that will outlive that family that it was created specifically for. But I like this idea that these paintings are a small thread in the human record. They will live to tell the story of these people in this place and time. Yeah, that is so, so beautiful. So if anyone wants to check out some of this stuff, can you tell us your website? Yes, it's just RebeccaRebuchet.com. It's my full name. And all of the information is on there for the family tree paintings. There is a waiting list for them. So if you're interested, just sign your name to the waiting list and you'll get more information about them. It's hard to say. People always want to know how long is the waiting list. It's, it's very hard to say because there are a lot of people on the waiting list. It's true. But people become ready for this journey at different times. And so it just depends on where your name falls in the list and how many people are ready before you or not. So mm-hmm. it's possible that you could sign up today and be accepted as early as next year. I only do three paintings a year four at the very max, but usually it's about three. And so they are time commitment on my part and the part of the the client as well. So it's very bespoke and intimate process. So it's a big project. It's a big process. So of course, and you've got all the other stuff too going on. So, but I also saw on your website, like, so what else besides like the paintings, did I see some like wall stuff, like some wallpaper? Yeah, I have wallpaper now. I I just launched wallpaper last year. So um, I love that. I had never seen that. And then I checked it and I said, oh my God, these are so cool. They are a lot of fun. They're wallpaper murals, which allows you to transform a, a room in your house by just putting up wallpaper. It comes in strips like wallpaper, but when you put it all together, it makes a mural that's nine feet tall and 12 feet wide. So it's a whole scene and it's removable. So you can put it up on a wall and even if you're renting a house and you can take it down. So right now I have two designs. One is called Enchanted Forest and that is by far the bestseller that (laughs) it was originally carried by Anthropology. So for about 10 years, Anthropology sold that mural for me and it was one of their bestselling wallpapers of all time. And just last year, I started carrying it on my own website. So it was out of stock for over a year with Anthropology, And so we took it on in-house. So now we have that one. And we have another one called Nightfall on the Moor, which is, I like to think of it as if John James Audubon and Frida Kahlo met in a dream, (laughs) this would be the setting. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Okay, great. So everybody has to check that out. Now, tell me a little bit about this tree house. Like, how did this come into your life? Like, in, do you love like getting out there? Like, do you feel like you need to have something in the woods? Like, how did that, or did it just fall onto yeah. you? Yeah. Coincidence, or did you search for it, or what? No, it, it sort of fell on my lap. It was a friend of my mother's at the time, 
And it was this unique house. I call it the tree house. It's not actually a tree house. It doesn't have a tree going up the center of it, <laughs> but it is a wooden structure, a wooden cabin that's up on stilts in the treetops, surrounded by trees in a, in a rural setting. And I just happened upon it and it was built by an artist in the mid-1970s named David Abel. He had built it with his wife and they lived there and practiced art there. And so it was very much built to be an artist's home. It has large windows that face north. North light is best for painting. It has natural materials. It has a great layout for just natural living, passive heating and cooling and natural light and sort of the peace of the forest. I came upon it after, after he had passed away. So the house was sitting there kind of falling into disrepair and didn't have an occupant. And I just fell in love with it. And it was a long process of about eight years where I was sort of the steward of this house, but it was continuing to fall into disrepair. And I had gotten almost to the point of no return until a few years ago when I hired a cicada architecture firm out of New Orleans to design a complete renovation of the house from top to bottom. And so we took that on, started that project a few years ago, and it started to, I think it finished right as the pandemic sort of started. So now it is, we added on, we added an addition to it to add like a master suite and just updated the structure itself, the roof, the cladding and updated the kitchen, bathrooms, that kind of thing but tried to honor the original spirit of the home as built by the original artist and honor its placement in the woods as a natural as possible environmental living. And for me, it's this beautiful retreat. I feel so restless by nature in a way. And I love going back and forth from the city to the woods, back to the city and having this dichotomy, this ritual of that. I love, of course, being in the nature, having this front row view of the trees and the birds and the weather. And yeah, so I love to go out there and write. You still go out there. Oh yeah, I go every week. So on a weekly basis, I'm back and forth between the treehouse and New Orleans. Yeah, I remember the first time it was like, I think a mutual friend of us, I think mentioned because I had my yoga studio in New Orleans and I had a cabin in a horse farm in Folsom. And yeah. I just go like back and forth. Yeah, I remember that. And I remember somebody that. said to me, a couple of people actually said, oh, Rebecca has a situation. She always goes back and forth too. You guys are funny like that. So I totally 100% get it. And now I kind of moved to the North Shore by the river and I'm really sort of immersed in nature at this point. But I remember I had it for like five years that I was going between the city and the country and the city and the country. And that was... I used to wake up like with a horse right there on my front door and like it was just so it's so fantastic and I visit that place and I just think it's so wonderful to have a place that one can retreat to just get away from everything and really I was going to say especially as an artist but really as anybody even if as you're anybody like a, as anybody <laughs> exactly so I'm curious to last year with this whole pandemic But you being someone that already was like retreating and kind of doing your own thing and being an entrepreneur and working online, how did you take, I mean, besides, of course, we all know, so sad, horrific for the planet and all that, but I'm talking more, not in that sense, but more like for you, how did you navigate it? Was there anything that was drastic for you? Did you actually enjoy more? How did you feel? Well, I think that's interesting because very quickly I realized that pandemic life, what we think of as what we all learned to be pandemic life is pretty much the artist's life already. (laughs) Artists are so used to isolation, spending time alone with your thoughts and being sort of the master of your own schedule and having to sort of sit with the restlessness that is human nature and figure out what you're going to do with that. And so in that way, it was just more of the same, except that what really I found refreshing about the pandemic was that it felt like everybody else slowed down with me. It felt like the thing that I had been doing all along, 
everybody else joined in with, got on the same pace of life. So it felt just more peaceful that it wasn't like I was trying to stand still in the middle of a storm. It was like the calm before the storm or after the storm. It just felt like everything calmed down. And it gave me this real expansive feeling, a real sense of expansion that kind of like how when you're a kid and the day feels really long, it feels spectacularly Mm -hmm. long. Mm -hmm. You know, it feels like there's so much that's possible. That's kind of how pandemic life felt for me. It felt like the day got really long. And in this beautiful way, that felt like it gave me more freedom in my practice as an artist, more freedom to just sink into that nothingness, just let it settle in all around you. Like, this quiet, like nothing else is happening right now. Mm-hmm. We finally can breathe. And and now what shall we do with this space? I really liked it, yeah. I have to say. It just felt like a continuation of a lot of what my life has already yeah. has already been like. Yeah. Exactly. And so and now with 2021 coming forth these first few months, that have you felt something changing? Are you starting to feel it? Like the world? Absolutely. Yeah, it feels like the world's waking back up from a sort of dormancy. That feels aligned with nature as well, because what nature, I think, is trying to teach us every year, if we're open to learning it, is that these cycles are essential. They're cycles of dormancy, and then the rebirth of spring, and then the sort of the long, hot summer that we have here. And then that preparation for hibernation again in the fall we lose touch with those cycles, those natural cycles in our modern life because we don't really have to honor them because we can kind of live in this equilibrium year round. And I think that in a way, pandemic life almost brought us back into sync with the rhythms of nature because now it is spring and the world is coming alive again. And there is this real blossoming happening. And I'm definitely feeling that in my work because the collection that I'm working on is all about this, this reawakening and the world feels like it's reawakening or waking up from a long sleep. And that's very exciting. I think to just honor that and say, yes, it's okay to come back out into the light. Now, you know, we can celebrate the energy now that we have because we have done this dormancy. We took time to rest So Mm -hmm. use that energy that you've cultivated and make something with it. I'm inspired by that. Is there a couple of books that you, or one book that you want to recommend? I know you love books so much. I do. I do. I have some favorites for sure. Let's see. One of my absolute favorite books is called Color, A Natural History of the Artist Palette. It's by Victoria Finlay. And... It is a nonfiction book that's an anthropological journey around the world and through history to study the origin of all the colors on the artist's palette. So it's beautiful. It's full of story and metaphor and technical science. And it's this gorgeous journey through color. So through the rainbow, if you will, it's splendid. One of my go-to books that I keep always on my table is mm-hmm. called The Van Gogh Blues by Eric Maisel. And it is definitely a sort of psychological guidebook, handbook, if you will, for coming to terms with and balancing the changing moods of being an artist. And I think that applies to more than just artists, but um, definitely for any person in any creative field whatsoever, this book talks about like going face to face with your roller coaster of moods that you might experience mm. in a lifetime and how to learn how to go with them and flow with them and integrate them into your life rather than resisting and being such a victim of maybe perhaps depression or anxiety or volatility that interrupts your work and your creative flow. So how to come to terms with what he calls the facts of existence, which I love. It's, it's something that creative people often struggle with is they struggle against the facts of existence. And, and this book really helps you come to terms with the facts of existence and embrace them and celebrate and then get back to work, basically. Those are two of my favorite books that stay on my drawing table, actually. 
Thank you for sharing. Why do you love travel so much? Because we didn't talk too much about that, but I just wanted to brush through it because we, I know you said travel, it lightens you up, I feel. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, I was traveling a lot pre-pandemic, but I travel for my commissions for sure. I travel to families wherever they are in the world. But in addition, I tend to just travel for inspiration and work and just to be an explorer of the world or a student of the world, really, to see what there is to learn. I think when I was younger, I used to think that travel had to, as if it was either vacation or it was work. And now I know there's no difference, really, for me. It's just all integrated. And oftentimes I'm traveling because I'm researching something or A few years ago, I went to Paris for like six weeks to write a part of this novel that I'm writing because there is a section of the story that takes place in Paris. And I needed to be there to write it and to research that element of it so that it would be natural. But on and on, I mean, that was a few years ago. Yeah. And then before that, I went to India with a friend and we went traveling around Rajasthan and Udapur and Jaipur and Jodhpur. And it was so beautiful, the riot of color and learning how to sort of give yourself over to a completely different culture, a completely different experience than the one you know. I remember sitting at this ceremony under the stars at this tented camp way out in the middle of nowhere. And then it occurred to me, I thought, this is the furthest geographically than I've ever been from home, from my place of origin. This is the furthest that I've ever been from sort of my immediate family or the things that I triangulate myself against as what I know. I'm on the other side of the globe now. And how do I feel all swinging out in the wide open? Like, how do I come to terms with who I am? when I can't touch anything that I know. That is a great metaphor for what it is to be an artist as well. You Mm -hmm. sort of find yourself flailing out in the wide open, in the wild (laughs) of your own experiences. And you have to center yourself through the art. You have to center yourself through the story that you're telling so that you know where you are. That sort of figuring out where you are, I think is what art is actually. Do you have a favorite spot in New Orleans? That's a tough question right now because post-pandemic, it feels like restaurants became less of a central part of life. You know, I love my neighborhood where my studio gallery is in Holy Cross and I'm three blocks from the river and it feels like a little bit of a rural part of New Orleans. Most people don't come here or know about this neighborhood necessarily. It's beyond the bywater over the canal and... I walk to the river every morning and I see pelicans and cormorants in the river and the ships going by. Sometimes it's foggy. Sometimes the water's low and there's a sort of a beach and you can walk right up to the water and put your feet in it. It feels very wild, even though it's just city adjacent. You know, it's right here in the city, but it's just on the edge and just on the edge enough to be full of nature and I do love that. Yeah, New Orleans is such a mystical city in so many ways. Mm -hmm. We've talked a lot about magic and mystical. And I think that it's interesting that you even, you know, between the treehouse and that you live in New Orleans. I mean, and if you're listening to this podcast, come visit New Orleans. I just feel like it's one of those places you can feel it. There's just so much, you know, in New Orleans and it's mystical. So if Mm -hmm. someone wants to reach out to you, find more about you, I'm assuming at Instagram and where else can they go? Definitely check out my website. I just redid it last year. So it is this beautiful world you can get lost in. Explore it. There is a lot to offer there. We have a shop called The Beauty Shop and that's where I sell the wallpaper murals. I sell limited edition prints there. Any other sort of collaboration type pieces. And then there's the shop with original artwork. There's not much there right now because I'm working on a new collection, but definitely sign the mailing list so that you can get an invitation to the new collection when it comes out. And come to New Orleans in October for the show. Stay tuned to Instagram and the mailing list so that when I send out the save the date, you can try to come because 
everything is happening in New Orleans in October. So it's going to be a very exciting time to be this here. This is going to be in October? This is going to be in October. I don't have the exact date yet, but it's going to be in October. And it will be the new collection, Waking the Dreamer or Awakening. Definitely just check out online. I also have a, a beautiful print shop that allows you to collect pieces that have been long ago sold out. That's the sort of dichotomy with original art is that there's only one and only one person gets to have that one painting. But with modern printing technology, it's possible to make these beautiful prints on canvas or on paper. Framing options are available. And so we have a collection on there called the Dreamers Collection. And you can check that out on my website as well and collect works that might be your favorites from past collections. And yeah, Instagram is a great place to just follow along with the making of the new collection and stay tuned for for more. Yeah. Well, I'm going to include all of this in our show notes as well. We're thorough with that. And I just want to thank you so much for your time. It's been such a pleasure to sit and talk with you like this. It's awesome. Thank so thank you, you for sharing, you know, all of these stories and thanks for creating all this beautiful art and enhancing the planet so much the way that you do. Thank you. <laughs> and Natalie. I really hope to see you soon. Maybe we're going to go out and, you know, do something together. In real life. <laughs> In real life. I know. <laughs> thank you for listening to the show. Thank you for hanging with me and Rebecca until the very end. I hope you have a fabulous and fantastic day, and I cannot wait to be with you again. In the meantime, connect with me on Instagram at Natalie Kra. Also, I would love for you to share this podcast with someone you love, someone who you feel that would be inspired by Rebecca's work, by my work, and by Life on Earth community in general. That would be fantastic. If you like the show, support us and give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe. Until I see you again, wishing you so much happiness and sending you so much love.